How many of you in here have ever played the game Settlers of Catan? Do we have any, anybody in here? Let me see, raise of hands, raise them high, loud and proud, right? If you've ever played Settlers of Catan, I believe we have an image of it that we're going to show up on the screen here. It's, a, it's a, an interesting game. It's, it's based on you, you set your village in a certain section of the map, and then whatever your village is touching, you get to collect those resources. But it's really hard to get to a place where you can get all five resources. So what you have to do is you have to trade back and forth to make sure that, that you have what you need. So it's, it's kind of cooperative, but also you're holding your cards tight because you don't want other people to be able to get an advantage. And so you have to, you have to um, strategize how you're best going to, to play the game. It's interesting because in the, in the game, there's, there's five different resources. There's rock, uh, straw, wood, brick, and sheep. And so you have cards representing each, each of these different resources. Now, what's interesting to me is that they didn't give us actual sheep to play with. Like, like why, didn't, why couldn't they just pack some sheep in the box or, or you know, lumber? Like, like it would have wouldn't been so much more realistic to be able to build a house out of the lumber that they provided for us, right? But they didn't do that. Why? Because it would make the game weigh thousands of pounds and it would be really hard to take it with you on a cruise. And they wanted to make sure that the game was portable enough. And so they, instead of having the physical items, they chose cards to represent the items. Well, in the same way, money is like that, isn't it? Where, where we have, when we, when we have a uh, when we have some money, when we've got a you know fifty dollar bill or whatever, it is it's money, but really it represents something else. So you could you could look at a fifty dollar bill and you could be like, this is ten cheeseburgers, or maybe it's only worth five cheeseburgers now, um, you know, <laughs> depending on inflation. But um, you know, when you when you look at when you look at money. It's not the, the dollar amount, it's what it represents to you. It might represent a full gas tank. It might represent being able to pay your rent this month. It might represent being able to provide clothes for your kids. But it represents something to each of us, doesn't it? So money is, is this, this powerful thing then because it's not the dollars and cents. You don't go to work so that you can get paper and little pieces of metal. Right? That's not the reason that you work all the time. You go to work so that you can provide food for your kids and a roof over your head and transportation and all of those things. And those come to you in the form of money that then you trade for goods and services, just like in Settlers of Catan. We've got this, this nice, portable way to be able to transact business. Money is what it represents to us. So it's not, it's not numbers then. And especially now that we're even getting away from a lot of physical currency, a lot of times I know what's happening based on the numbers that are in my online banking app. And I'm like, okay, I've got X amount of dollars. That means that, yes, I will be able to pay my mortgage this month. Or I don't have X amount of dollars, and that means that I need to sell a kid or something in order to be able to make ends meet, right? Money, then, isn't about numbers. It, money is really a feeling. Money is an emotion. Money represents, um, it represents uh, security. It represents safety. 
it represents freedom. It represents the ability to travel. It represents uh, the, the comfort of knowing that, that when you are pressed, when something comes up, you can do what you need to do. And so that's what money represents to us. Today we're going to talk about real security because the Bible would tell us that our security should not be found in our bank account, but it should be found in something else. One thing that I, that I always try and say anytime I talk about giving, anytime I talk about money, is that we don't give to get a blessing. We give because we're grateful. And so even, even just now as we passed the buckets around, I hope that none of you felt like we were twisting your arm into giving. We don't want you to give because you feel guilty or because you feel obligated. Instead, we want you to give because you're grateful for what God has done for you. So I think over the next couple, couple minutes as we, as we talk about this, hopefully that idea shines through that, that we, should be, uh, we should be giving, but not because, well, we'll get into it. Um, Luke 6.38. Luke 6.38. Give, and it will be given to you. Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. So in, in this verse, we see a promise here that, that God says that when you give, it will be given back to you. Now, what's interesting is when you read this verse in context, it's talking about forgiveness, judgment, uh, and I forget what the other thing is. Oh, it's talking about judging people. And it's talking about forgiveness. And, and it says that, that if you forgive then that same measure that you use is going to be measured back to you. But through the law, because we understand as we read the rest of the Bible, we understand the law of sowing and reaping. And if, for those of you guys that aren't familiar, really quick, the law of sowing and reaping just says that whatever you plant in the ground is what's going to grow. So if you plant an apple seed, you're going to get an apple tree, and eventually you're going to get an apple harvest. If you plant cucumbers, you're going to get cucumbers. If you plant watermelon, I don't know why you would, you're not going to get grapefruit, which is also disgusting. But instead, you're going to get what you planted in the ground. And so that's the law of sowing and reaping. When you plant something, it comes back to you in the same form. Um, so this, this scripture then isn't specifically about, about uh, giving, but it does represent this principle to us. That when we give, it will be given back to us, whether it's money whether it's time, whether it's energy, whatever we give, it will be given back to us. If you've ever wondered why your kids yell so much, it might be because you've been giving a lot of yelling. And now that's coming back at you. If you've ever wondered why, why you have a hard time with all of these negative thoughts, but you've been planting into your heart all of this media that has been, that has been uh, warping your view of reality, whether it's, uh, whether it's you know, crime dramas or uh, dating reality shows or uh, you know, political commentary or whatever it is. There, there are all of these things that are influencing the way that we think. And when we plant those things, we reap a harvest. In the same way, it's true with our money then. Whatever you, you practice, you get better at, right? Practice doesn't make perfect. Practice makes permanent. So if you practice the wrong way, you're going to get the wrong thing. But if you practice the right way, 
you will eventually improve and get better in what you're doing. But also, if you put garbage in, you're going to get garbage out. And so these are, these are both sides of the same law of sowing and reaping. Whatever you put in is going to come out. The Bible also says, Jesus said in Luke 12, 34, that where your treasure is, there your heart is also. It's not, it's not whatever you like you're going to buy. That's obvious, right? It's not, it's not saying that if, if I am a, a sports fan, I like the Seahawks, therefore I am going to buy a jersey. What it's actually saying is that the things you invest money in are the things that your heart is going to be drawn to. It's like owning Tesla stock, right? Before you owned Tesla stock, you didn't care much about Elon Musk was doing, but as soon as you bought that stock, all of a sudden you were invested at a deeper level. All of a sudden there was something inside of you that hung on his every word, and every time he said something that made you question the direction of the company, you got not just, not just confused, but you got upset, you got offended, you got, right? Because, because your heart now is invested in this company. And in the same way, giving does that to us. When we invest uh, into, into a friend, like let's say you have a friend that needs $1,000, and so you're like, okay, I, I have an extra $1,000. I'm, I'm going to invest this into them, and I'm going to trust that at some point they're going to pay me back for this. When you invest in your friend, and then you see them starting to plan a vacation, you're like, hey, wait a second. <laughs> I'm, I'm pretty sure. Hold on just a second. Yeah, I, I still don't have that $1,000 back. And, and all of a sudden, because your heart is invested, if you hadn't loaned them that money, you would be so excited for them that they're going on this trip. But now that you have, you're invested. Now that you have, you're thinking a little bit different about where they're going and what they're doing. So how you spend your money then becomes a great indicator of where your heart is. How you use your money becomes a great indicator of what your priorities are. We're going to look now at Deuteronomy chapter 15. So if you've got your Bibles, go ahead and turn over there. This is, uh, this is a story um, of so the, the nation of Israel. For those of you guys that have been doing the reading plan with us, You've been watching as the children of Israel made it into Egypt and then were enslaved, made it out of Egypt. God set up certain laws for his people. And in Deuteronomy 15, he's actually restating some of these laws that, that he has proclaimed, that he has given to the people in order to teach them how to be a nation that could teach other nations how to follow God. Does that make sense? So, so he's setting up Israel as the example, as the standard that all of the other nations should look to them and understand what it means to follow God. He does something fascinating in Deuteronomy 15 that I want us to look at for a minute because he sets up this system whereby the people could show that they're generous. Because it's one thing to say that you're generous, right? We all like to believe that we're generous, but it's another thing to actually be generous. And so God actually sets up this, this system whereby it kind of forced the people to be thinking about what their money was doing. So God calls this system Jubilee. And in this system, 
there's a, every seven years, on the seventh year, all debts were released. In the seventh year, everybody was brought back, everybody that was in debt was brought back to zero owed. If you had had to sell property in order to pay your debts, that property was returned to you. If you had had to sell yourself to a person, you were set free. So it was this incredible thing where, that God set up to say that nobody is going to live their entire life in debt and in poverty, but instead every seven years, we're going to do a reset. We're going to reconfigure some things so that you can have a fresh start, so that you can have, and they called it jubilee. And we love that word jubilee, don't we? We love that idea of jubilee that says that, that God is going to bring freedom to those that are in captive. In fact, this is what Jesus said that he came to proclaim to all of us. He said that, that, uh, that he came to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He came to proclaim jubilee to all of us, that God would eventually set us free from the sin debt that we owed. And that, that is such a powerful thing for all of us to be thinking about. The truth is, God knows our hearts. He knows the tendency of our hearts, and he knows that if somebody owes me money, I have a hard time loving them the way that Jesus would love them. I have a hard time, if somebody owes me money, being, uh, being gracious towards them, not judging them for their mistakes, not, not looking over their shoulder every time they, you know, they show up with you know, boba tea or whatever, and you're like, hey, you still, you know, there's, there's this whole thing, and you don't want to say anything, because then it's weird, but there's just this, this attitude in your heart. It's just like, oh, why? Why can't you just pay me back, and then we can just be, then we can just be even again. Everything's forgiven, right? Instead, God wants us to be generous. So the first, the first uh, six verses of Deuteronomy 15 are explaining what Jubilee is. We're going to pick up in verse 7. And it says this. It says, If anyone is poor among your fellow Israelites in any of the towns of the land the Lord God is giving you. So he says, he says that when you go in, because this is actually, this is proclaimed before they get into the promised land, but they're standing on the edge of the promised land waiting to go in. So he says, when we give you these lands, when, when you get established, when you've got your own place to live, this is how I want you to live. And he's setting this up ahead of time so that they know what to expect going in. He says, this is how I want you to live. Uh, he says, if there's poor among you, don't be hard-hearted or tight-fisted. Don't, don't hold on to everything you have at the expense of the people around you. He says, rather be open-handed and freely lend to them whatever they need. Um, let me let me just pause right there for just a second. So he says he says be open-handed, lend to them, but remember the system of jubilee that he set up. Every seven years, if you lend to somebody, every seven years, see, it's a great system for those that are in debt. It's not such a great system for those that are loaning money, is it? You imagine that at the six and a half year mark, somebody comes up to you and they're like, "I really need help with this down payment for a house. Can you loan me fifty thousand dollars?" And you're looking at the money, you're like, hey, wait a second. In, in six months, whatever you pay me back over the next six months is all I'm going to get because in six months, it's all forgiven. 
in six months, it's all wiped away. It's a great system for the guy that's borrowing the money, not such a great system for the guy that's lending the money. So God speaks to this as well because he knows our hearts and he knows how we respond to things. He says, be careful not to harbor this wicked thought. This is verse 9. He said, be careful not to harbor this wicked thought. The seventh year, the year for canceling debts is near. We're at six and a half months. We're at, you know, it's, it's December of the sixth year, and they're asking to borrow 50 bucks so that they can go and visit their family for Christmas, and I'm never seeing this money, right? <laughs> he says, don't, don't uh, be careful not to harbor this thought. The seventh year for, the year for canceling debts is near, so that you do not show ill will toward the needy among your fellow Israelites and give them nothing. They may then appeal to the Lord against you, and you will be found guilty of sin. And you will be found guilty of sin. He says if you, if you know somebody's in need, and you have extra, and you choose not to help them, he says this is sin. Jesus would expand on this later on, and he would say that, that our responsibility is to love and to care for our neighbors. And so he didn't, he didn't wipe away this law. Instead, he fulfilled this law by expanding it and saying that, that our priority, our, our responsibility is to love. And if you have two coats, give them one. And if you, uh, you know, and he's talking about the, the Roman centurions, but he says, he says, if you're asked to walk one mile, you walk two. He says, you go above and beyond for everybody because you love them. Because you care for them. Because this is what God has done for us. He says, um, verse, uh, let's see, verse 10 again. Give generously to them and do so without a grudging heart. Then, because of this, the Lord your God will bless you in all your work and in everything you put your hand to. Now, just to stop for just a second. Have you ever wondered why God invented giving? you ever wondered, why, why is this so important to God in the first place? I mean, he owns the cattle on a thousand hills, right? He's got everything he needs in order to provide for whoever. He, at one point in the wilderness, sent bread from heaven so that everybody's needs would be taken care of. Why does he need my money? Why does he need me to participate? Why does he need me to give? Why can't God just do it? On his own. God could just snap his fingers and all of a sudden my bank account has an extra zero, right? Why does God need me? Why does God want me? I think would be a better question. Why does God want me to participate in this? And the truth is, and what we're going to see over these next several verses, is that God created giving for your sake. God created giving for my sake. And again, I don't want us to just be thinking about money here. But money is nice because it's, it's dollars and cents. It's easy easy mathematics. It's easy to, to quantify. But God invented giving as a form of participation. We participate with God in a lot of ways, don't we? We participate with him through giving our time, through inconveniencing ourselves in order to, to help somebody else. To, we, we participate with God through reading the Bible, through studying the word, through getting together with other people. Who are, who are connected with God so that we can learn from them, so that we can grow in our faith. We give in lots of different ways in order to see God's kingdom advance. God created giving for you. He wants to participate with you. He wants to partner with you in this work that he's doing all throughout the world. And giving through money 
is just one, one aspect of that. But it's an especially powerful one. Because what it does is it works selfishness and greed out of our lives. It works that, that tendency to, to hold on and that, that, that uh, desire that all of us have to acquire more. It works those things out of our lives. And instead, it helps us to be selfless and generous. We don't believe around here in give to get. I already mentioned that. Because that, when, when we believe that we're giving so that we can get something back, that actually increases the selfishness and the greed in our lives. I'm saying, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give to God because God is like a slot machine, and the more coins that I put in, the greater my chances of winning are. And so, so I, I actually, I'm doing this out of selfish motives. I'm doing this because I'm greedy, because I just, I, I believe what God says, and so I'm going to take advantage of it. And I'm going to trust that he gets it. Are you guys understanding this? Are you guys resonating with this this morning? Yeah. Um, I, I was going to bring some, some cash this morning, and, and I forgot. Does anybody have 20 bucks that I could, that I could borrow? Anybody have $20? Yeah, right, right over here. Dude, thank you. That is awesome. Okay. So we've got, we've got this representation here, right, of, uh, of a, um, well, it, it 20 bucks right now doesn't buy you a whole lot. But, um, you know, you could, you could buy uh, dinner for two at McDonald's or <laughs> maybe a taco truck. That's about it. Um, <laughs> you might be wondering why this young man was so quick to jump up and, and to give me $20. And, and the truth is is it's because uh, it wasn't his $20 in the first place, but instead I asked him before service if he would hang on to it for me, and he would bring it up here. Uh, and, and also, just full disclosure, I got this illustration from Robert Morris from Gateway Church, but it's a fantastic one, because what it shows us is that, that when, when you believe that money isn't yours, you're quick to give it away. When, when you know that I'm just hanging on to this for a little bit, then you're okay with letting go of it. You know, this is, I'm, just, I'm just stewarding this. I'm just, I, I just am holding on to it during the service, and then eventually I'm going to be called upon to give it away, and now is my opportunity, and I'm going to do it. And so he hadn't made any plans for, I would imagine, what he was going to do with it after service. He might have been thinking, what if Pastor Jeff forgets, and maybe I'm going to get to hang on to this. But but my, my guess is he was probably sitting on the edge of his seat waiting for this point in the service where he could give it back because God, or because I had given to him, and now it was his chance to return back to me what was owed to me. The, the King James version of this, of this verse, or the, the American Standard Version, doesn't use the word grudge. So uh, verse 10 says, give generously to them and do so without a grudging heart. But instead of using the word grudge there, the, uh, the um, King James and the American Standard Version use the word grieve. And I like that word grieve because it speaks to this emotion that we feel when I have something that I think is mine, when I've got 20 bucks that I've already made plans from how I'm going to spend this, and, and now I have to give it away or I have to do something that I didn't want to do with it. And now I'm grieved. And now there's something in my heart that is challenged. And so, so what we see here is that it's not just that God helps us to master our selfish heart. 
That was point number one. But it heals our grieving heart. It brings us back. It helps us to, to push aside that selfishness, that greed, and instead it works healing into our life to say that we don't have to be so controlled and consumed by money, but instead we can find our security and our peace in God. And the Bible teaches us all throughout the scriptures that we're not supposed to give resentfully. The Bible says that God loves a cheerful giver. God wants us to think about money in such a way that says, I'm just holding on to this, and when I'm called upon, I'm going to be quick to give it away. Because I'm just a steward. I'm just, I'm just sitting back and waiting for my opportunity to use what God has given me in order to further his kingdom. And that's what money represents to us. The world says that money equals security, but in God's kingdom, he is our security. Let me say that again. The world says that money equals security, but in God's kingdom, he is our security. And money then becomes a tool to be used for his glory. And that's the way we need to start to, start to look at it. Now, for those of you in here that, that you're starting to, your, your heart is starting to, to beat a little bit faster, you're like, oh no, is he going to take another offering at the end of service? First of all, I promise you I'm not, okay? That's not the, that's not the point of this. The point is that, that God wants us to partner with him in all areas of our lives in order to see his kingdom advance. But there's this, the money has this weird hold on us where when we even start to think about not having X amount in our bank account, we start to get worried. We start to get anxious. We start to get fearful. The Bible actually calls this idolatry. Where if you're setting something else up in the place of God, the Bible says this is idolatry. And the way that we heal this is through being generous. God helps us then through this. He helps us to master our, our selfish heart. He helps to heal a grieving heart. He's going to help us to grow a generous heart in verses 12 to 14. If any of your people... Hebrew men or women sell themselves to you and serve you six years. In the seventh year, you must let them go free. So this was, this was a, a fairly common practice back then. A lot of times when we think of slavery, we think of the American South, and we think of the atrocities that were committed then. But, but slavery in the Bible sometimes took that form, but sometimes it was more of you were an employee, and you worked, and you, you continued to work for a person until you paid off your debts. And that's what it's talking about here. It's not talking about, when it says sell yourself to somebody, it's talking about sign a contract and be employed with that person until you can pay off what you owe. So this is, this is a little different, even though it does use the, the phrase here, sell yourself to the person. Um, he says, in the, sev in the seventh year, no matter whether they've paid off their debt or not, you have to let them go free. And when you release them, and this is, this is such, a, such a portrait of what God has done for us, he says, when you release them, don't send them away empty-handed. When you release them, you're not just going to leave them at zero. You're not just going to say, hey, God bless you. I know you, you just have the clothes on your back and that's all you own now, but hey, be, you know, have, a, have a good life. 
right? You're not just going to, to bless them. Because again, what God is trying to work in these people, he's trying to teach them generosity. He's trying to teach them and model for them how to respond to the people around them that are less fortunate than they are. He says we need to do this because this is what it means to be a nation whose, whose sole focus is set on God. So he says, he says, don't send them away empty-handed. Instead, verse 14, supply them liberally from your flock, your threshing floor, and your wine press. Give to them as the Lord your God has blessed you. So he says, don't just send them out. Don't just kick them out. But as they go, I actually want you to bless them. I actually want you to give them above and beyond. We see in, in the, the New Testament, we see this picture of us as being the ones in debt, as us being the ones that have the need. And what God did when we were in need is he didn't just, he didn't just show us mercy. He didn't just release us from our debts. But the Bible said that we get to have now life and live it to the full, right? That, that we, he, we serve a God that can do a, uh, a abundantly more than all we can ask or imagine. That, that every good and perfect gift comes from above. That, that because of him, we live and move and have our being. That in him, we are more than conquerors. Amen? We serve a God that has so much for us. And in the same way, God's telling us to model that and to be that for other people. He says, you've been given so much. He says, he says to give, you notice, you notice what he said there at the end of verse 14. Give to them as the Lord your God has blessed you. Give to them in the same way, in the same manner that you were blessed. He doesn't set a dollar amount there. He doesn't say when they leave, send them with $500 so that they've got enough to be able to go and, and rent a crappy apartment, right? He doesn't say that. Instead, he says, what I want you to do, $500 wouldn't get you an apartment anyway, so I don't know why I mentioned that. Um, couple cheeseburgers at McDonald's, maybe. Um, <laughs> he says, I don't want you just to give, or I don't want you just to send them on their way. He says, if you've been blessed, we're going to be a blessing. We're going to use this opportunity to lift somebody else up. We're going to use this opportunity to be generous. Why? Verse 15. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt. And he's talking to the generation Right after those that had come out of Egypt. There's this, this whole thing we don't have time to get into. But one generation passes away. Now the next generation is standing on the doorstep of the promised land. And they're looking in and they're getting ready to take the land that God has promised them. He says, I want you to remember that not too long ago, your family was slaves in Egypt. You were held in bondage. And for us here today, we would say, I want you to remember that at one point in your life, you were separated from God. For those, of you, for those of us in here, we would, say, we would say, we owed a debt that we couldn't pay. And yet God gave to us, and now we have an opportunity to give and to bless others. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt, and the Lord your God redeemed you. That is why I give you this command today. We don't give to get, we give because we're grateful. And so what we see in, in uh, that verse is that it helps us to develop a grateful heart. The reason, because, the reason for this command, the Bible says, is that you were given a gift. Now, just um, in, terms of, in terms of giving, because we've been talking a lot about money, um, we actually statistically are an above average 
giving church for our for our uh, number of number of members, the the amount of people, or the percentage of people giving. Most churches see about fifteen to twenty percent of their church attenders giving. I ran the numbers this week because I was curious. We're at forty seven percent, so that's awesome. Um, that does mean that fifty three percent are not giving. Um, but th- that, that's incredible. That's, that's encouraging that so many of you guys have already grabbed a hold of this. So many of you guys have already allowed God to speak to you. You are being generous. And I think that we're seeing the fruit of that here as a church. That we're seeing God bless us in a lot of ways because of the generosity of our people. We support so many partners all over the world because of you're giving, and God has enabled us to do some pretty cool things here in Moses Lake as well. But Malachi 3.10 says that we should test the Lord in this. And so if you're part of that 53% that you haven't made that commitment yet, I want to encourage you today to take a step. I want to encourage you today to take a step towards God. And again, what I want us to hear is that this is not just about money. But if you're, if you're one of the, the, the percentage of people that you're not serving, I want to encourage you to step into serving. If you're not regularly reading your Bible and praying, I want to encourage you to start those disciplines that are going to help you to grow in your walk with God. If you're not regularly attending a small group, I want to encourage you to do that because God has given so much to you. So we give because we're grateful in every area of our life, not just, not just money. There are, there are four levels of giving. I'm going to wrap up with this, so if I can have uh, Pastor Tiffany go ahead and come back up to the keyboard. Four levels of giving. The first one is this idea that, of being an emotional giver, right? I, I see the, the, uh, the um, starving kids on TV, and I just can't help myself, so I write a check, and I send it in, or I, I go on their website and, and, and pay, uh, because I don't want those kids to be starving, so I'm... I'm I'm moved by something, and I'm going to give to it. Maybe you're even hearing me today, and you're like, I, I should step into this. And there's this emotional response, and you're like, okay, I, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm going to do it. Not because I've, not because I've, I've planned it, or any, but just I, something is tugging inside my heart, and so I have this emotional response, and I'm going to give. So the first step, then, is emotional giving. The second step is regular giving. This is, there are some of you in here that, that you have a hard time giving 10%, you have a hard time um, working that into your budget, but you've realized that you need to give something, and so you've, you've not just, you don't just give when your heart is tugged, but you give routinely, you give regularly. Maybe it's supporting a missionary, maybe it's uh, as, you're, as you're able to, you are, you are one of those that gives faithfully and regularly to the, to the work of God, and so that's, that's step number two, that's the regular giver. The next one is where it switches to become a percentage. And the nice thing about percentages is that they adjust based on your income. And so we, I, I think that that's why God sent, set 10% as a threshold is just to say that, that this way, if you lose your job and you don't have any money coming in, then 10% of zero is zero, right? But if you get a raise or you get a bonus or, or something happens in your life where you, you switch jobs and now all of a sudden you've got extra you have an opportunity to give extra as well. And so, so we move from being a, a, an emotional giver to a regular giver to a percentage giver. And then the last one 
is an, extra, an extravagant giver. And this is some of you in here that, that God has blessed you and you recognize it. And so you give, your, you give your, your tithe, but also on top of that, you're giving extra. You're giving 10% plus. You're giving towards missions. You're giving towards building campaigns. You're giving towards all of these other things that God is doing. And, and so you've, you've seen that. You support ministries even outside of the church. You, you are sending money to other individuals. And, and so God has, has spoke to you, and you've realized that you can be an extravagant giver. What I want to ask us today, and what we're going to close with, is, is this thought that not just, again, trying to take money out of it, what is the next step in your spiritual walk? What is the next thing that God is asking you to do. For some of you guys are regular givers, but you're not serving anywhere. And God wants you to step into serving. <clears throat> some of you in here, God has given you great gifts and God has given you resources that aren't aren't financial, but you've got skills and abilities that you can use for his kingdom. And maybe it's not even here in church, but maybe you are maybe you um, are a great T-ball coach. And God is using that through you in order to minister to people on your kids' t-ball team. There are lots of different ways that you can serve God. What we're going to do is we're going to take a minute right now to pray. And then, and then we're going we're gonna to signify to God that we're going to take the next step. And again, some of you guys are already giving extravagantly. There's more that you can do. And so in just a minute, I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet as we close just to signify, God, I am going to take that next step in my walk. But before we do that, I just want to pray for us. Father God, we just ask right now, Lord, that you would speak to hearts. God, you have uh, proclaimed through your word that you want us to be generous, that you want us to give, Lord, that, that you have a, um, a, a purpose for the things that you've given to us. And God, that we should give because we're grateful. And so, God, I just ask that, that Lord, in, in all areas of our life, God, that we would take this to heart. God, that we would look for ways to regularly give and to serve you, to regularly invest in our spiritual walk, to regularly attend retreats or conferences that will help us to grow in our faith, to regularly uh, give as we are enabled. God, we don't want to twist anybody's arm, but, God, we want to open up the door for people to experience your blessing in their life. 